Gauravani Patarani, Nivasesis and Nivadi Paskatyade Satani, Vandeham Sri Guru Shi Uta, Padakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamsha, Shi Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam, Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Paditana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shi Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shi Vishakam Vitamsha, Vantrakapajibas Chaki Pasandavita Patitanam Pavanavya Vaishnavabinamonima. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 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 December 16, 2020, Hawaii class over the internet, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 23, Maharaj's picture going back home, text 37. Muktanya Sango Bhagavat. Muktanya Yamalam Bhakti Mudvahan. Vanyasya charitam punyam Vanyasya charitam punyam Srinuyach travayet patet Srinuyach travayet patet Muktanya sango bhagavat Muktanya sango bhagavat Yamalam bhakti mudvahan Vanyasya charitam punyam Srinuyach charvayet patet Eat from all material contamination Bhagavati Unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead Unto the supreme personality of Godhead. Amalam. Amalam. Analoid. Analoid. Bhaktim. Bhaktim. Devotional service. Devotional service. Udvahan. Udvahan. Carrying out. Carrying out. Vainyasya. Vainyasya. Of the son of Maharaj Vena. Of the Sasha Charitam. Charitam. Character. Character. Punyam. Punyam. Pious. Pious. Shunyat. Shunyat. Must hear. Must hear. Shravayat. Shravayat. Must induce others to hear. Must induce others to hear. Patet. And go on reading. And go on reading. translation. A pure devotee who is executing the different processes of devotional service may be situated in the transcendental position, being completely absorbed in Krishna consciousness. But even he, while discharging devotional service, must hear, read, and induce others to hear about the character and life of Prithu Maharaj. Prabhupada's purport. There is a type of neophyte devotee who is very anxious to hear about the pastimes of the Lord, especially the Rasa Leela chapters in Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Such a devotee should know by this instruction that the pastimes of Prithu Maharaj are non-different from the pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. An ideal king, Prithu Maharaj exhibited all talents in showing how to rule the citizens, how to educate them, how to develop the state economically, how to fight enemies, how to perform great sacrifices, yagyas, etc. Thus it is recommended for the Sahajiya or the neophyte devotee to hear, chant, and get others to hear about the activities of Prithu Maharaj, even though one may think himself to be in the transcendental position of advanced devotional service. Muktanya Sangha Bhagavat Yamalam Bhakti Mudvahan Vanyasya Charitam Punyam Shrinuyach Chatravach Chavayet Patet A pure devotee who is executing the different processes of devotional service may be situated in the transcendental position, being completely absorbed in Krishna consciousness, but even he, while discharging devotional service, must hear, read, and induce others to hear about the character and life of Prithu Maharaj. So we have that very uh, well-known song, that everything is sweet about the emperor of sweetness. Right? Uh, Krishna's lips are sweet, his walking is sweet, his creation is sweet, everything about him is sweet. So everything in the Bhagavatam, all the narrations, not only of Krishna, but of Krishna's devotees, are all sweet. And what to speak of a devotee, uh, such as Prithu Maharaj, who is a Shaktivesh avatar of the Lord. So, <laughs> devotees actually relish all leelas. And uh, uh, many years ago, I met one devotee, uh, she was, I think, at the time in her 70s. So she, uh, this was not in India, but she was from uh, Indian ethnic background. And she was a medical doctor, not only a medical doctor, but she had been, before she retired, in charge of a whole medical center. She was also very politically connected, so she was and close uh, friendships with a lot of the political leaders in her area, uh, very highly educated, very competent, and, and quite powerful person in the world. And her whole life she'd been a Vaishnava, even before coming to ISKCON. She came to ISKCON when she was about uh, 70 years old. So she told me that her whole life she would always chant Krishna Rama, Krishna Rama, that whenever she was walking anywhere, she would always say Krishna Rama, Krishna Rama. Anyway, so... Uh, she was describing to me her how she meditated during japa, which I'm not going to describe that, but it was it was really quite extraordinary. She was obviously a very realized devotee. And then she told me how that the previous two years she'd been ill, that she hadn't been able to do practically anything but uh, chant japa and read Bhagavatam. She could barely get out of bed. And she started talking to me about the Bhagavatam. Now remember, this is an extremely educated and sophisticated person, as I said, very powerful person. Uh, when I saw her outside of the setting, this was a private talk in her room, uh, she was a, a no-nonsense, very, uh, very solid person. Anyway, so she starts talking to me about the Bhagavatam, and she starts talking about Devahuti and Kardama Muni, and she was crying. 
and, and just in, she was in, obviously in ecstasy talking about Devahuti and Kardama Muni, how they traveled all over the universe. And I thought, oh, that's that's interesting. Then she started talking about Atri Muni, and she said, I love the story of Atri Muni. So he's going on one leg, he's standing on one leg for his austerities, and he calls for the Lord, but he doesn't know who the Lord is. And then Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu come, and he's hopping toward them. And she just started crying profusely. And she said, such a wonderful story, such a wonderful story. And I was there in in a kind of... uh, I was taken aback. I was really taken aback. I thought, wow, this is an actually advanced devotee. You know, not only was she experiencing incredible realizations uh, during Japa uh, related to uh, intimate Vrindavan Leela, but she loved every part of the Bhagavatam. You know, I, I really, until that conversation, I really didn't think about, I mean, very honestly, I didn't think about the story of Atri Muni as being particularly an impetus for spiritual ecstasy. But for this devotee, everything in the Bhagavatam was an impetus for spiritual ecstasy. And it was it was quite a wake-up call to me. I thought, wow, you know, everything is sweet. Everything is sweet. There's nothing that's not sweet. There's nothing that's not relishable. Uh, even if it's, you know, this sage who doesn't even know who the Lord of the Universe is <laughs> and he's doing his austerities, that it was still ecstatic. So this is one of the symptoms of an actually transcendently self-realized person. Now, it is also true that someone who's transcendentally realized has realized their particular relationship with the Lord and will particularly like to hear about that, Uh, but they like to hear about everything. And then when we're looking at the neophytes, who, as Prabhupada say, may think that they're transcendental, (laughs) uh, they certainly have to uh, engage in this hearing about Everything. So first let's look at, you know, when you love someone. When you love someone, uh, and then we'll look, we'll look at when you love someone, then we'll also look at the activities of the Lord and the devotees in this world and the activities in the spiritual world and how uh, there's lessons and there's advancement in both that we, we study side by side. So when you love someone, you love everything about them. You know, if you love your husband, you love your wife, you're interested in what they do outside of just their relationship with you. You know, how did your day go? What happened at work? Or what happened with the kids? Or what happened here? Or what happened there? You have some interest in it. I mean, how we know that we don't really care about someone is that we're only interested in the parts of their life that directly pertain to ourselves. And anything else, we just kind of turn off, right? It, it's sorry to say that it's it's a symptom that our dealings with them are lust rather than love. In other words, our dealings with that person are thinking, "What can I get from them?" And so, therefore, again, when they're talking about or they're absorbed in something that is relation to us, we're very interested. We pay a lot of attention. And as soon as they're talking about another part of their lives that has nothing to do with us, then we, we don't really hear what they say. It doesn't stick in our mind. We may superficially appear to be 
a hearing, but really our mind is elsewhere and we can't wait for them to be quiet. And I'm sure we've found this going the other way, that when we have people who claim they love us and claim they care about us, and then we'll notice that if we're speaking about things that don't directly involve them, that they really want us to finish up that description as soon as possible to get on to something that's related to themselves. So this is, again, it's, it's lust. It's thinking about the other person as an object for my own enjoyment rather than loving them. So Srila Prabhupada writes about this, at pretty sure it's in relationship to Krishna kidnapping Rukmini, or some pastime of Krishna with Rukmini, I'm pretty sure. I may be mistaken. That the devotees don't neglect anything. They don't neglect even a drop. They relish every drop of Krishna's pastimes. So it's not that the devotees who are uh, want to be with Rama and Ayodhya don't hear about Krishna, or it's not that the devotees who want to be with Krishna don't hear about Rama and Ayodhya. They want to hear about everything. Of course, it's natural that one especially is interested in the activities of the Lord that relate to one's own flavor. Uh, as long as one is also relishing everything the Lord does, then that's simply another manifestation of love, which has this perverted reflection in material lust. You know, so we may be very interested in everything that our spouse does at work or that our spouse does at home when we're not there, but we're particularly going to relish our personal talks about our personal relationship. That is natural. And so the devotees, especially once they realize their relationship with the Lord, they especially like to talk about and to hear things in relation to that relationship. And in fact, it's one of the elements of Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti that once one understands something of one's personal eternal relationship with the Lord, that one particularly here pastimes and qualities and so forth that are in relation to one's identity. And the one should specifically hear about devotees that are related to one's identity. But again, that doesn't mean that one doesn't enjoy everything else. Because in everything else, one sees one's Lord. You know, with, with Matsya Avatar, with Nasinga Avatar, or with Prithu, with, with Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he would sit with Gadadhar Pandit, and they would be crying over the pastimes of Dhruva and Prahlad Maharaj. Now, Dhruva is particularly interesting because Dhruva Maharaj is given by Rupa Goswami as an example of a neophyte devotee who goes to the Lord looking for wealth. Still, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I think arguably the best devotee, uh, we could have an argument who's the best devotee, but let us just say Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the best devotee. And there's Gadadhar Pandit. Uh, so they're relishing this story of Dhruva Maharaj, who was a neophyte devotee. Or we have the story of the Brahmana who was meditating on uh, doing worship. And, you know, for many, many years, he was offering very opulent worship and meditation, much more opulent than he could offer on the gross platform because he was very poor. And one time his meditation was so deep and so intense that when he offered sweet rice that was hot and he touched it to test it in his meditation, he burned his finger on the gross platform. And at this time, the Lord in Vaikuntha started to laugh. And Lakshmi said, why are you laughing? And then 
he brought the Brahmin there on a, on a Vaikuntha airplane. The point is that the Lord was relishing, the Lord was enjoying uh, the activities, the worship of this Brahmana on, on earth. So the Lord himself relishes all of his activities, the Lord himself relishes all the activities of his devotees, and the devotees do as well. Uh, the greatest devotees, uh, they also relish all of these activities while having their favorites, while having things that they particularly like. Both are there. Both are there. One doesn't negate the other. I've, I've said, told the story many times how I was at a feast and I turned to one devotee and I said, this prasadam is wonderful. And she said, all prasadam is wonderful. <laughs> so it's, it's not like that. It's not that you can't have your favorite kind of prasadam or your favorite lila or your favorite form of the Lord. In fact, Sanatana Goswami specifically says in his commentary to Bhagavatam 10th Canto, I think it's chapter 13, maybe 14, that the Lord has unlimited qualities and there are unlimited jivas and each jiva has their favorite quality of the Lord. Or it's explained when the Lord married 16,100 uh, princesses that each one, was a, he married them all at the same moment. There were a lot of weddings going on at the same time. But each form was slightly different. So each form was particularly the way that queen wanted to understand him. So that's there. There's particular form that we're attracted to, particular pastimes. At the same time, we love everything. Not that I love everything, therefore I don't have any particular taste. Not that having some particular taste is wrong. And not that if I have some particular taste, I can't also love everything. So I thought of this situation also in terms of the pastimes in the material world and the pastimes in the spiritual world, that Prithu Maharaj is the ideal king. There's so much about Varnashram in this particular section of the Bhagavatam in relation to Prithu and what is the ideal situation in the material world. So the Ishapanishad tells us that we should know matter and spirit side by side. And throughout the Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita, there's teachings about the nature of transcendence and the nature of how we know God in the world. So I've been teaching the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita right now, Bhakti Shastri, and of course this is where Krishna says, I am the taste of water, I am the light of the sun and the moon, I am the silva om and the Vedic mantra, I am the strength of the strong, devoid of, of uh, passion and desire, I am sex life, I am dharmic sex life, I am the ability of man. So these are the, the ways in which we can be appreciative and cognizant of the Lord in the world. And that's important. I mean, it's interesting that the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita uh, is in the middle portion, which our Acharyas have described as being about bhakti. So chapters 7 through 12. And there in chapters 7, 9, and 10, uh, we have the Lord describing how he's understood in the world, or 11, where the Lord is the world, the world is the Lord. And that's important. It's important. You know, when, when Krishna is saying how to meditate upon him in chapter 8, how he's to meditate on him on always being transcendent to the material world, at the same time, we meditate on him in the world, and we meditate on how to have a proper world. I just was for four hours in an interfaith conference about climate change, both internal and external. And one of the things that everybody agreed about 
is that if we're really devotees of the Lord, it was Gaudiya uh, Vaishnavas, Sri Vaishnavas, Protestants and Catholics, if we really are devoted to the Lord, we will take care of his world. <laughs> you know, it, it's not like what I saw in Eugene that one time that I, I talk about quite a lot. You know, where there was so much plastic in that river, this holy river, that when the, during the rainy season, the plastic bags would rise with the water and get stuck on the trees. And then when the, in the dry season, when the water would recede, there were all these different colored plastic bags hanging from the trees. And where did the plastic bags come from? People were making offerings to the river, and the plate on which they made the offering was covered with a plastic bag, and then every little bowl on the plate was also covered with a plastic bag. And so they were, they were making these offerings of these traditional sacred items, and then they throw this plate in the river with, every, you know, how many plastic bags were for each offering, probably five or six plastic bags for each offering. And they didn't care how they treated the holy place. They just wanted to get some benediction from the holy place without caring how they treated it. So it's certainly that we have to take care of the world. And the story of King Prithu tells us how to take care of the world, how to deal with the earth, how to deal with the citizens in a way that's going to be pleasing to the Lord and in a way that will help us to be in a transcendental position that a person in the transcendental position also knows how to deal with the world. This is a big theme of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna is saying to Arjuna, you know, if you want, you can renounce the world and go to a sacred, secluded spot and put deer skin on the ground and look at the tip of your nose and chant Om. Uh, but better than that is to work in the world in the consciousness of Krishna, to set an example for others. And to run the world the way Krishna wants. I mean, why the whole battle of Kurukshetra? To install on the throne persons who were devoted to the Lord. Right? So this is, this is the story, Maharaj Prithu, of someone who's so devoted to the Lord that he practically is acting like the Lord and how he runs a perfect society. So we have to know this just as much as we have to know about Krishna uh, dancing Rasalila and stealing butter and, and so forth. And why is that? Well, first of all, we're in the world. If we don't meditate on Krishna in the world, both in terms of, you know, he's the taste of water, and in terms of how to set up an ideal society, in both of those ways, then we'll have this disconnect between our spirituality and our life. And we see this in many devotees, where they think spirituality just means, you know, what Arjuna thought. I walk away from my responsibilities, and I just go to some place and beg, or, you know, that's fine at the end of sannyas life. <laughs> that, that's, you know, the last stage of sannyas is like that. Uh, that's appropriate. But for most of us, uh, if we're not in the last stage of sannyas life, then it's not appropriate. We'll, we'll end up having our material life and our spiritual life, and then people ask, how do I balance my material life and spiritual life? And my question is always, what are you doing having a material life? Why isn't everything you do spiritualized? And this is the example of someone like King Prithu. How do you spiritualize your life? How do you spiritualize the world? How do you make everything in relationship with Krishna? So we have to know how to do that. Otherwise, we have a, a secular 
mentality where we just see things without relationship to the Lord. And that's the Lord's definition of maya in the Chatursoki of the Bhagavatam. Anything that appears to be a value if it was without relation to me has no reality, know it to be my illusory energy, that reflection that appears to be in darkness. So the very definition of maya, the definition of maya isn't really a particular activity. The definition of maya is to see something as separate from the Lord to see this has value and it's separate from the Lord. So, okay, I have my religious activities, I have my chanting, I have my worship, that's spiritual, and then I have all these things that are material. No. So, therefore, we have to study and we have to hear. I mean, a tremendous amount of the Bhagavatam is given to descriptions of the universal form. A tremendous amount of Bhagavatam is given to descriptions of how the material world works. And a tremendous amount of Bhagavatam is given to stories like Prichamara. I mean, the Prichamara story itself takes up a huge portion of the Bhagavatam. That, how to do it? How to have an ideal society? So that's true for our own consciousness, but it's also true for our preaching. I mean, if we want to help other people come to transcendence, we cannot just say to them, Give up your life. Because most people can't even do that. You know, we even saw in the early days of the Hare Krishna movement, the early days of ISKCON in the West, people did that. They gave up their education, they gave up their family, they gave up everything, and they moved into an ashram. But how long did that last? You know, for most people, it was like a few years. Maybe six years. And then they, they couldn't maintain such a life. People wanted to make money, they wanted to have a house, they wanted to have a spouse and children and, you know, the car. They wanted those things. And then they thought, oh, well, now we're in Maya. <laughs> now we've fallen down. But no, how are we going to build an international society without that? So how, if, our, if people who are super dedicated to Krishna need to find ways to work in the world. What to speak of the populace in general? We need to provide them with a model. That's the real bridge preaching that's already baked into the Shastras. How am I conscious of the Lord in the world? How do I make every act yagya? How does everything merge into transcendence? How does my my family, how does my job, how does my home, how does my money, how do, how, does all, how do I see all of this in transcendence? So it's the only way to make the world God-conscious. We're not going to make the world God-conscious by having everybody go back to Satya Yuga where everyone's hamsa and everyone just sits and meditates all the time and the earth just gives out fruit and grains without any kind of agriculture. Or, you know, that's, we're not going to be able to do that in Kali Yuga. <laughs> That'll be when we go back to Satya Yuga. And at the same time that we're aware of what's going on in the world and we want to have a perfect society in the world as much as possible, according to the direction of the Lord, we also want to be absorbed in the transcendence. We also want to be absorbed in Krishna's pastimes in the spiritual world, the Astakalila Lila. We don't want to be so absorbed in Krishna's pastimes out of the world that the whole world goes to hell and we don't we have this separation in our lives, this artificial separation. And at the same time, uh, we don't want to become so absorbed in doing things in the world that we forget who we're doing them for, that we forget that we're doing them for Krishna. 
And we see both of these tendencies in our uh, devotee societies. We see some people that all they ever talk about is how to make a perfect society in the world. That's all they talk about. They just talk about Varnashram. They talk about how men and women deal with each other. You know, they talk about the environment. They talk about the cows. They talk about how to deal with money. You know, the modes of nature. And they don't talk about Krishna's transcendent activities. Then we find people that all they ever talk about is Krishna's transcendent activities. They're just, you know, always talking about Vrindavan pastimes. And, you know, well, we're not going to talk about Varnashrama. We're not going to talk about, you know. It was, it was really interesting. It's uh, three and a half years ago, this devotee Rukmini, not my god sister, uh, Dr. Ruchira Dutta, so she and I met in New Vrindavan to start working on a book on Varna Dharma. And I really thought at the time, because we planned to meet there for a month, that we would finish the work in a month and write a short little booklet. And I felt, you know, I was writing it because devotees had been begging me over the years, please put your inspirations about Varna into a book. And I thought, well, we'll finish that and then I'll get back to other things. Because we had just finished the Srimana Shiksha, and I thought, you know, I really want to work more in publications like that, so let's just do a little booklet on Varna, get it out of the way, and then go. And what happened was, in those weeks in New Vrindavan, as we started exploring Varna Dharma, is we found that it was full of impetus, Udipans, it was full, full of impetus for Amala Bhakti, as mentioned in this verse. Uh, that for pure Bhakti. Oh, why? Why was it full of Amala Bhakti? Because it's coming from the Lord. It's part of the Lord's plan. It's part of the Lord's desire. And Krishna says everyone can become perfect by, uh, by their work. Everyone can perfectly worship me by their work. So it was, it was completely connected. It was just an incredible, incredible experience. Yeah. So we want to do both. Now some people are going to focus more on how to live uh, a God-conscious life in the world. And some people are going to focus more on the transcendence. It's just we are individuals. But we should definitely know each we should know how to do each, and we should relish the pastimes and the descriptions that are related to each. Now, another thing that I thought's interesting is that the pastimes of the devotees in this world, again, especially Prithu Maharaj, I'm just seeing because he's establishing Varnashram, he's establishing a perfect society, uh, had those sort of pastimes, those sort of instructions have lessons and realizations that are relevant to the transcendental realm. And the pastimes and activities of the purely transcendental realm have lessons that are applicable to our daily life. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Just like uh, right now at the temple that I'm in, we're in the 22nd chapter of the 10th canto in our morning classes, where this is the Vastaharan Lila, where Krishna is stealing the garments of the unmarried gopi girls. And yesterday, His Holiness Pure Krishna Swami was giving the class, and we're right at the end of the Leela, where it's explained that the gopis were not angry at Krishna, but they were actually happy with Krishna, even though he had taken their clothes while they were in cold water, and he made them each come out uh, naked to get their clothes, and said he treated them like playthings. 
And Maharaj was talking about the fact that they were happy with him because Krishna was not acting out of lust. He was acting out of pure love. And then he gave the rest of the class about what is the nature of lust and how we can get free from lust. Or, you know, Srila Prabhupada in commenting on Lord Ramachandra and Sita, how Lord Ramachandra had to go through so much trouble to protect Sita. And he was talking about, you know, the trouble that one has to go when one takes up household life, that one has to take care of one's family members. Yeah? You know, there are a lot of wealthy people that have kidnapping insurance. So if one of their family members gets kidnapped, they can pay the ransom. And if you have no family, even if you're very rich, if you have no family, there's no one to kidnap. So the trouble of having a family. Yes, the trouble of taking responsibility for others in this world. So we have these, these lessons going in both directions. Right? When we're reading about Maharaj Prithu, there's so many lessons, so many things that remind us of Krishna's pastimes in the spiritual world. And we're reading about the pastimes of the Lord. There's so many things that help us in our own uh, life. Yes? Now then, there's really two points that Srila Prabhupada's making here. So the verse seems to be talking just about those who are already on the transcendental platform and who are already free from all material contamination, mukta anya sangaha and amalam bhakti. They're already, they have no, they don't need to know how to work in the world for their own purification. They're already completely purified. And Srila Prabhupada, though, talks about those, we mentioned this earlier just briefly, who think they're purified, but they're not. You know, we have this statement in the Bhagavatam in far, as far as the impersonalists of a Sudha Buddhaya, that the impersonalists think, now I'm liberated, but they're really not. Their, their consciousness is not yet purified. And here Prabhupada's talking about the sahajiyas, which are a particular subcategory of neophyte devotees. It's not that every neophyte devotee is a sahajiya. Sahajiya literally means one who just takes everything by nature, just whatever comes naturally. So the sahajiyas generally don't want to take up a spiritual discipline. They don't want to follow a spiritual process. They just want to do whatever comes spontaneously and naturally to them, which is fine if you're on a very advanced platform. So the example can be given, uh, just like someone who's an expert dancer or an expert musician, they can act spontaneously. Right? And it's, it's beautiful. Right? They can improvise. But if you have a beginner... I know that uh, there was one leader in ISKCON who said he didn't like watching Bart Natchem dances because it seemed that the dancers were focusing on the technique. But that means that they're beginning dancers. So a beginning dancer has to, what do I do now? What do I do now? But once you're experienced in dance, that you've in, the technique is a part of you, and you're simply expressing the emotions of the dance. And I, all of us have our area of expertise. Right, we have uh, one devotee here, one young woman, who tries to cook without recipes. But because she's not experienced in cooking, when she cooks without recipes, they're a disaster. Or she'll take a recipe and substitute for half of the ingredients. And 
I said, first you have to become expert. I said, the thing about recipes is they've been tested. So you don't go in the Didi kitchen and do an experiment. You take something that's been tested and you cook with that and then you get a feel for cooking. And then you can substitute things or you can make your own recipes. So if someone's a beginner in the practice of bhakti, if they're not actually liberated, uh, then they have to go through some discipline. They have to go through some regulation. Right? Even advanced devotees go through some regulation to set an example, although they don't need to, because otherwise the beginning devotees get very confused. Huh? You know, well, you can go in the kitchen and just cook something. <laughs> so I'll just go in the kitchen and just cook something. I mean, we, we see this that, um, you know, someone who's not trained in dancing, and, and some kind of, they'll just get up and flail all over the place and, and look ridiculous, right? Or just like, I mean, just for myself. So I had, I had three years of, of training before I, I joined the Hare Krishna movement in public speaking and debate. So I was, I was very lucky that I had a, one of the best uh, trainers and coaches in the country. And so one year I was won the state championship in public speaking. Next year I won the district championship. And we were taught formulas. We were taught specific formulas for public speaking. We were taught certain templates and formulas. And we practiced them and practiced them and practiced them and practiced them. I mean, he would get us so we he would we'd get a topic to speak on and we'd have a half an hour to prepare in the library. And then once we got good at it, he'd give us a topic and give us no time to prepare. And he'd give us crazy topics. I mean, I remember one time I got, we'd pull topics out of a hat. I got a topic, pickles and bikinis. And with no preparation, I had to give a five-minute speech on pickles and bikinis. And after a while, you get the technique down to the point that you don't need to use the technique anymore. You know when you can use it, when you cannot use it. Or the same with writing. You know, when you become expert at writing, you can put in a sentence fragment. You can, you can, you know how to use the language. So, those who are beginners in bhakti should not think, well, I'm going to imitate the, somebody who's on a higher platform and I'm just going to listen to Ras Lila. Then they're going to ruin everything. Because they don't understand that although an advanced devotee might particularly relish Rasalila or might particularly relish some other pastime, Damodar Lila or something, that that devotee relishes everything. That devotee relishes everything. The devotee finds ecstasy in reading about just philosophy. Calculation of time by the atom. The devotee finds that ecstatic. You know, I've, I've often wondered, why do we have the description of the movements of the planets in the fifth canto? Why? And then someone said, but the universe is the body of God. Oh. So when we're reading about the movements of the planets, Sugadeva Goswami is not talking about the movements of the planets from a scientific point of view. He's talking about it from an ecstatic worship point of view. Or like when I first read uh, Teachings of Lord Chaitanya, where Lord Chaitanya tells Sanatana Goswami about all the different um, Vishnu forms and how they have the different weapons in their forearms. And at the time I was 17 years old and I was thinking, oh, i gotta, I got to remember all this. You know, Padmanava, where's the club? And where's the Keshava? Where's the disc? And... And so I didn't finish teachings of Lord Chaitanya at that time. 
And a few years ago, a good friend of mine said, do you know why Lord Chaitanya was giving this description to Sanatana Goswami? I said, and I always wondered. She said, because he's in ecstasy, meditating on the Lord's arms. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so the, the neophyte devotee doesn't understand that all of these descriptions are, they're all impetuses for ecstasy. The neophyte devotee should study all these descriptions for purification, and the advanced devotees study all these descriptions because they're all impetuses for ecstasy. Uh, so, therefore, this story of Pritcha Maharaj or any part of the Bhagavatam, any part of the Bhagavad Gita, any part of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, whether we're reading, you know, the the works of our acharyas, whether we're reading the Sandarbhas or we're reading Lalita Madhava, uh, all of it is an impetus for ecstasy, and at the same time we have our personal taste. So, questions, comments? Prabhupada's room with the other artists um, today that he left Los Angeles Temple on June 1976. And that was when the whole Gopi Baba thing was going on and devotees had, some devotees had gotten it in their idea, in their minds that um, the real nectar was Krishna's pastimes with the gopis, and, there, and Prabhupada had some secret message about that, that that's, those in the know really knew that that's what they should concentrate on, and all this other stuff didn't matter, all these other pastimes or any topic. And Krishna consciousness didn't matter, and Prabhupada was so angry when, you know, I, I was there and I watched, because um, this all unfolded, um, the devotee that started this, uh, he began arguing with Prabhupada, actually arguing wow. with his spiritual master. And um, finally, I mean, he just like just stomped out, left, slammed the door, um, ran down the stairs and grabbed all his personal belongings and left the movement. Um, wow. That was so bad. But Prabhupada was, you know, his eyes were just, glittering with anger, saying, no, no, we are not only interested in Krishna and the gopis and conjugal love. No, no, you know, uh, uh, the, the pastimes of Krishna with Prahlad Maharaj, Lord um, Sringadev, and, and Krishna speaking Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna, uh, this is all nectar, all of it, every every aspect of Krishna consciousness is nectar. And so, yeah, he went on about that for a while, and and, um, and then the artist showed him, uh, you know, our, our work. And But anyway, and then there was one householder that all he painted was Radha Krishna paintings. And Prabhupada said, uh, does this devotee, uh, paint other things as well besides Radha Krishna and, and he wasn't there present at the moment he was a householder that lived outside and and, um, and they, Ramashwar said no no uh, this is all he paints and Prabhupada didn't like that at all either so thank you very much um, about that it was just, it's just a contributing story that you know I got to witness firsthand about uh, what Srila Prabhupada said about this. Wow, know, thank you. Can I ask, since I was uh, probably at that meeting, like, um, and I don't really remember yeah. 
what I remember is, and I'm, I could be a little wrong, is that one devotee who did not show up was in Maya, and that devotee who's dead, his name is Jai Ram. And yeah, that was him. Yeah. But I don't remember Prabhupada asking if he only painted Radha Krishna, because at that time, we were getting assignments, like, and uh, we were working on uh, seventh or eighth cano, and he had done a painting of uh, Krishna standing in front of a cow. And I remember Prabhupada said, "We have already got that painting." But I don't. In other words, like, what was all oh, weird? Just he didn't even show up. He lived up the street, and we're all like, "Where's yeah. Jai Ram?" Right, Jai Ram. But I don't understand why would Prabhupada ask that question when we were getting assignments that weren't. Radha Krishna, I mean, in fact, um, the only thing, well, why he did that painting, I don't know if I forgot, it's in the Bhagavatam, but Prabhupada did say, oh, we've already got that painting, in other words, like you're doing the same painting over again, you know, but there are no Radha Krishna paintings that were being done for 7th, 8th, ninth canon, and I don't understand how just- that... And I don't remember who that devotee is who ran out and argued with Prabhupada. If you remember that, that's yeah. scary. Because I don't remember. I probably was so heavy that I, I blocked it out of my brain. But um, the only one I know who was heading up the Gopi Baba Club was Paranjan. Yeah. And I don't remember him running out. You're saying that happened at the same exact meeting? Yeah, yeah. He was, um, I was told that he was actually in charge. Wait a minute. You were told or you were there? Wait a minute. Were you there or were you told? No, I was there, and I didn't know who he was. Oh. And then I was told that that devotee that was arguing with Srila Prabhupada was head of the Spanish BBT. So I witnessed that, yeah. and I watched him, you know, I mean, he was raising his voice with Prabhupada, and he trying to use uh, examples out of Prabhupada's own books. To, to argue with Prabhupada. And, and that, that was the same meeting? I remember, meeting. that was in the front room. I remember, and, uh, yeah, and, and Prabhupada was livid, and I guess you must have blocked it out, because it left a very strong impression. You're saying, wait, this, and, when the artists were there, that was the same exact meeting? That was the same yeah. meeting as when, we were, when the artists came there and were, we were showing the painting? Yeah. Really? Hmm. That yeah. is then we showed far, Prabhupada the paintings after. Yeah. Maybe that was um, after we showed him. I think. All right. But uh, yeah, you didn't know that that was. I think it's Pranjan because he was the one who organized. I mean, Jai Jagadish is on this thread. He will very well know, but uh, he was part well, of it. I remember that. It was so made such an impression in my mind. Um, well, okay. So may be, we may be conflating because there were others who also argued this. I was not present, but there were others, others who argued this point with Prabhupada. Uh, I can say that Paranjan did not leave the movement, did not leave his duties yeah, as head of, Sp- of Spanish VBT. Right. That that's why I thought she was getting carried away with this story because I don't remember anybody leaving the the. One of the dramatic things was Jagannath Das, who was a Sanskrit. He was brought in even before Pranjan and others, and he hadn't been in this Gopi quote Baba Club, but he was always for years after that very resentful that he had been called in. And he would tell me sometimes, oh, I don't know why Prabhupada called me in. I wasn't, you know, I said, but you were living in Radhakun, and that really bugged Prabhupada, you know, and you should be happy that he chastised you. But he could never get over it. And he left, yes, but not, no one stormed out. 
without Jaito. I don't remember anybody storming out. You saw someone storm out? I don't know. I don't remember anybody storming out. Yeah, I don't remember I, anybody I, ever storming out of Prabhupada, uh a meeting that I was ever at. But now I would have remembered it. Um, there was a well, ooh. I don't want to get into yeah. a debate about it. Um, I just remember what I saw and heard. And, um, I, you know, I'm not conflating or making it up. Um, uh, but the part that. about him storming out and leaving the movement, that could maybe you think would be an exaggeration. Anyway. Whatever. No. Anyway, um, maybe he wasn't the leader of the Gopi Baba, but he was, I know he was in charge of the Spanish BBT and that he left angrily and Prabhupada was like yelling at him and um, it was all very heavy. Right. And, you no. know, my eyes were just wide open. I was like, oh my God. Anyway, um, yeah, that um, yeah, that makes some sense. I mean, probably, but you know, he didn't like for some reason. I was on a morning walk either that day or another day, and he was quoting. Probably kept quoting this verse from it's uh, CC where Nartam quotes it in one of his songs. Deha smriti nahijar samsar bandhan kahantar. He said, if you're on the level of absorption in the gopis, this should be something. This applies to you. Deha smriti nahijar means. Remembrance of the deha, the body, the gopis don't have any remembrance of their material bodies. They ask me to samsar bandanka, then their samsar is cut, bondage is cut. So on the morning walk, he was repeating that, that verse. Uh, that's, that's when you know you're qualified, when you don't have remembrance of your material body. He was making a bar real high for those who want to be totally absorbed. Mm. Propagate Gopi Baba, so uh, mm. yeah, nobody was coming close to that any time, any lifetime soon. <laughs> very nice alright I hope you'll all excuse me I have been as I said I was in an interfaith conference for four hours before this call so I've been sitting at my desk at my computer now for five hours and I I need to go chill out chill I need out. to get up and walk around and move and do something else other than sitting at my desk <laughs> so I hope that you will excuse me <laughs> I will thank Krishna. you very much. thank you Thank you. 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 Thank you.